0: Praise you, Lord. Praise him wherever he is. Amen. Each and every person is here today. Lord, we praise you because you are here and you're our God and you are the one who is our savior and the one who lifts us up on eagle's wings. Praise you, Lord. Amen. 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 I tell you what, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) That's worship, isn't it? Is that worship? It is indeed. Well, for those of you who are just getting here today, you've missed a couple, three weeks. We've been in Hebrews. And it's a little bit different book, but last week, what did we talk about? Anybody remember? Oh yeah, somebody was here and was awake on that one, right? We did, we talked about angels, but you know what we found out? Everything we read so far in Hebrews is that Christ is superior to everything. To angels, to everything that's ever been made, Christ is superior. He is our Savior and He's number one, is He not? Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. We're going to start off in in, uh, 2 this morning, in Hebrews 2. And if you got your Bibles, read along with me, whatever version you have there. i, I got to tell you, I'm going to read all the way through 9 this morning, for, verses 1 through 9. originally intended to go through 9, just could not get there. We're going to stop at, at uh, 4 here in just a minute. But let me read this to you. Because we've talked about all these angels, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to by those who heard, and while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, that has been testified to somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him just a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with the glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, may you add your understanding and your power to the reading of your word. This passage begins, it's really interesting, you're going to love this. passage begins, it's painted in nautical terms. Ah, So here we are on the Chesapeake Bay, we have the best watermen in the world, right? Yes. We do. We know more about really inland waterways maybe than anybody around. And this is written, I believe, for us. Surprised? 2,000 years ago? Nah. Um, maybe you've gone fishing out on the bay. Anybody here done that? Anybody want to admit that they've done that? But you don't have to tell me what day. I know better than that. You got out of the bay. You've ever gone out there and you, you, gone, you, you go out and you, you find the greatest place. You're headed for the, where you know all the fish are, right? Or where you know your place you picked out. And you go out there and you just focus on the fish, right? Have you ever done this? I'm going to see who admits it. You go out there and, and you, you're waiting on the fish and you focus on it. You just kind of get lost in it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're somewhere else. You're not where you part. You sent your boat in the first place. That ever happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. You drifted away from where you were because you weren't paying attention. Because you took your eyes off of what you really were doing or where you had originally gone. That's what this is about. That's what this verse is about. And, and, and you know, sometimes when you're out there, I don't know if you've ever done this. You ever drop anchor? I'm going to stay here, right? And you can still drift away, can't you? You know, if you've ever been out there in a storm, we had a friend. We, we lived out on Kent Island for a while. We had a friend that uh, was the Bay Police, and he said he spent all of his time. He didn't do anything really to be a policeman. He spent all of his time dragging people off of places where they had the tide had lowered and they were stuck, or the tide had raised and they got lost, lost people who drifted away. Huh. Because they really weren't paying attention to where they were supposed to be, were they? Hmm. Sometimes though you can even drift away, even if there's storms. Storms can take you away, and all of a sudden you wind up in the wrong place. Because you really weren't in the right place to begin with, were you? Or you weren't paying attention to what was going on. Okay, look at you. Remember back when well, oh, I don't remember. It was about three or four months ago we were in Matthew 14, Jesus walking on the water. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And those were all experienced watermen. They had grown up. They were fishermen. Remember the sons of, of Zebedee? <laughs> His sons, they had, they had was Zebedee and sons, I guess. But they were all fishermen. Jesus had chosen these guys to be fishermen because they were experienced watermen out there on the sea, out on, out on the lake. Well, here they are out in the storm. And they were doing what Jesus had told them to do, but they got into a storm. And they, these experienced watermen, beyond all of their experience, were scared to death. Because they couldn't control the boat they ran. And they really thought they were going to die. Remember that? Until Jesus came walking on them on the water. Jesus is the one that pulled them out of that. Here we are, drifted away, and Jesus is the one that came and saved them. Hmm. I really think that's the picture of the church today. The church all around us. Lost. It's drifted away. It's a picture that the writer of Hebrews is showing right here this little bitty church back in we don't even know where. Um, but they were probably under the rule of Nero, so they had this government thing that was pulling them away, holding them back. Huh? Government persecution persecution of the culture, persecution of everything. And you know what? Some of the people in this little church that this book is written to in Hebrews um, were in danger of being blown away by the storms of the culture. They were being in danger, I believe, in being blown away from the truth they'd found in Christ back to where they had been in Judaism what this church is about it was a little bitty jewish church lost somewhere so the writer says that we need to do something here we need to focus on the word of god here's how we do that how we keep from drifting hebrews 2 2 we're going to focus on the word of god it's also what he said back in the very first verse of the very first chapter and he also says we're to focus on the god who created everything that is john 1 3 and one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. We read that back in Hebrews 1. That's who we're to look at, who we're to focus on. And then it says, the one who reigns supreme to the angels. You heard that one before, hadn't you, know, last week. In name, honor, vocation, and existence. That's what it was about last week. That was our, really our outline. And all of the superiority of Christ is meant to be an anchor that holds us where we're supposed to be. We hold that by our faith. In the middle of increasingly stormy seas, that's all around us. Anybody feel that? Do you know that? Do you think that? Think it's getting harder to live out there in our culture? It is. Why is that? This letter is from God to his church, and I believe his church of all time. This church here today, the one that's built with it, Chesapeake all around us, to people who are, or in the middle of a storm so now we're going to start here in verse one and with uh, the superiority of, of Christ just we just seen it and it's still ringing in their ears back here in, in this this early uh, church and just heard about it that like Christ superiority to everything to the angels and everything that there is he gives a clear warning about drifting. He says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Hmm. Here's the it's using those nautical terms, and it's painting an image of a ship whose anchor has been lifted, I guess. It's been broken loose for some reason, and it's dangerously drifting away. It's not the kind of drifting that's intentional it's uh there's a kind of that comes from carelessness not paying attention not holding on to where we're supposed to be uh, you know at first in, in, in calm waters this little church wasn't having any problems um, but as the storm built it got bigger and bigger and the opposition to the church rose we haven't seen any of that have we They got farther away from Christ. They drifted away with the culture that was being taught out in public. And that was the church's experience 2,000 years ago. And I think it's the message to us today. Drifting is the most frightening sin of the church today. Drifting away. And as this nautical metaphor, I guess, suggests, it's not so much intentional as it is lack of concern. We're not really concerned about the church of Jesus Christ. They weren't in Hebrews, this little church. You know, uh, there's no friction, there's no dramatic sense of departure, it just kind of drifts away. Little bitty things creep in small things to distract us, things to keep us from looking at Jesus Christ as the supreme of everything that's around us, the sovereign God that we serve and we see every day. You know, I think that if you go back and read Revelation, I hope you do, <laughs> uh, if you go back and you read Revelation, you said the same thing to the churches at, at Ephesus he was speaking to what was supposedly a healthy church at, at Ephesus in, in a revelation. But he said, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Abandoned the love you had at first. You know what? When our anchor begins to lift and, and, and from our soul's grasp, and we, we stop looking at the greatness of Christ's supremacy, the greatness of his salvation, we become susceptible to, to the flow of the tide, don't we? Um, Alexander McLaren is a guy that I read sometimes. He was a preacher about 150 years ago. He said, When our anchors begin to lift from our soul's grasp of the greatness and supremacy of life, we become susceptible to, to toes of the culture. And C.S. Lewis said something one time. I don't know if you ever read his. This is in Mere Christianity. He said, and as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Don't most people simply drift away? That was, what, 50 years ago. 60 years ago. So what causes the Drifting. What's happening here? That's what we should be pay, paying attention to, shouldn't we? For one thing, there's this tide of time. Now, you're talking to a guy that has gray hair or no hair. You know, so, so, so I've been around a little while. I've, I've seen some of this. And there's many people here this morning who may not have gray hair but have a lot of experience too. And I know you've seen this too. The longer you live, the more you know about this one. Uh we were thinking earlier in the week, wherever my wife is. I'll take my wife, somebody did when we were we were talking earlier in the week about people that we've known in the past who were who were who had sold out, given their lives to the to the purpose of or the cause of Christ. You know what? There is not a cause of Christ. There is Christ. But how many people have said, "I'm sold out. I'm giving my whole life to Jesus Christ, no matter what happens." And if we look at those people today, they drifted away. And in fact, we have one we were really kind of sad about praying for this week. It has gotten so involved in making political statements on that great source, the internet. You know where you have that's, that's your public forum, right? Forum, right? But no one ever gets to see you face to face, and that's what we're sharing, isn't it? Our hearts. You don't get to see your hearts on the internet. No way you can write it at all. And those people that I, that we were thinking about, they pretty much, I wouldn't say they've, they've walked away. They've faded away. They drifted away. And that's a tragic way to live your life. And you know what? That's a tragic way to end your life. No testimony like that, is there? You know, I don't know if, uh, I don't mean to sound morbid, but just a few years ago, there was a guy, Robertson McLaren. Do you remember him? Anybody here know who he was? I learned I learned about him from Chuck Colson on, on Breakpoint. Breakpoint. He's a great man. Uh, he was a, a seminary uh, president and uh, at um, Columbia Bible. You know, that it was now Columbia International. He was a great man, and he actually written uh, wrote some of our uh, textbooks on ethics. That most of us who've been to seminary probably used his his textbook on on ethics, great man, godly man, and at the height of his career, his wife came down with Alzheimer's, and he quit his job. He said he he had made a promise to her before God, and that was the most important thing in his his life was to leave that. And he wrote a poem that became really famous. I'm not going to read all of it to you this morning, but it's called Let Me Go Home Before Dark. This one came after he'd gone, he'd uh, taken his wife in. But listen to these words. He said, I fear, you'll never hear me read poems, by the way, from the pulpit. This is a very rare thing. He said, I fear the dark specter may come too soon, or do I mean too late? That I should end before I finish, or finish, but not well. That I should stain your honor, O Lord, shame your name, grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me go home before dark. Hmm. I really want to be found, not drifted away, do you? I don't want to be found serving my Lord forever and ever. It creeps up on you, this drifting away, doesn't it? That's what I call the, the drifting current of tide or the tide of time. There's also this, this familiarity with the truth. That's a current that kind of kind of gets us to. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to use this example just because Jeff made me <laughs> we're, this morning we were talking about you know going into DC. You know, we've lived in this area for years and years, And, of course, I had offices downtown. Uh, in D.C. And also, people were always wanting to come when they came to our house. Oh boy, can we go to D.C. and see we've never been there before. You remember all the excitement? The first time you go to D- that D.C., have you ever done that? Oh man, to go and see, you know, the, the, the Congress for the first time, or the Supreme Court right across the street of the Library of Congress there by it, or to go down, and, and actually, you can actually go through the White House before they took all, anyway, you can go to the White House or, or the memorials. Those are really stunning memorials. Uh, yeah, I remember my father-in-law saw the, the World War II Memorial for the first time. He was in tears because he was, he was decorated. He was actually wounded in World War II. And so, you know, to see that, that means so much to him. To, to go and see the memorials, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, and to see how it's all laid out, talking about, you know, Jeffersonian, uh, Lincoln, uh, Jeffersonian democracy and, and the Lincoln Republic, you know, and that cross and everything. And, whoa, it does cross, doesn't it? Right there at the foundation at the very beginning on the top of that thing, it says Los Dale. Hmm. Our God is Lord. People don't know that, do they? It's kind of neat, though, when you go there for the first time, you're so impressed. Oh, you go to the Smithsonian? You know, oh boy, first, I've spent the first nine months here alone. My wife was back in Arkansas trying to sell a house. That's the story of our life, isn't it? And, and, and 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 And, you know, I, so I spent every weekend at the Smithsonian to see all that. It's wonderful. Isn't it great? You're so impressed. Remember the excitement? But if they come back about the 20th time, all the excitement's gone. You don't want to see that anymore. Do you remember the first time you came to Jesus Christ? You Remember the first time you looked in his word and you had one of those aha moments? It was awesome. You remember that? How's it doing for you today? Have you lost that? You know we need to go to Jesus every day. We need to go to His Word. And I tell you, I've said this before. If you read His Word and you dwell on it and you meditate on it, you'll see Jesus Christ on every page of the Bible. You will. He's there from the beginning to the end. Oh, to see Him creating everything, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, creating everything from the very beginning and then to see Him at the very end. He is indeed the sovereign God. He is the one who is in charge, and He is the victor. Amen? Is there any amens in here this morning? He is a victor, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's a victor over our lives. So that's what I call the familiarity with the truth. Don't let the familiarity with the truth get cold. Don't drift away from it. Keep it right there in front of you. Read it every day of your life. Meditate on Jesus every day. There's a whole lot of things that distract us, isn't there? And there's a whole lot of things that make us worry and afraid. But you know what? They're just things to make us worried and afraid. Jesus Christ is always there. We sang that a while ago, didn't we? And nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Romans eight thirty four. Go read it for yourself. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from Jesus Christ. What are we worried about? You know? And he's already won. Hmm. You know, here's another thing we we have to do is, is that there's this we have in our world, especially in this one, we have this danger with the busyness tide, the busyness current is going to carry so everybody's busy. Do you know anybody in here that's too busy? Oh, excuse me, that's not busy enough. Not a one. You know, even even if some people try to retire, they get busier, don't they? Yeah, there is no such thing as not being busy in this culture. It just doesn't happen. So. We get so busy, we take our eyes off Jesus. And we have all kinds of things to, 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 uh, to, to, to keep us distracted. You know, And they keep piling up and piling up and piling up, don't they? You know, I thought about it. In this hurricane we just had, a raindrop's only that big. Really small, isn't it? But when they pile up and they get more and more and more and they come with really strong winds, they can drown you. We can't let that happen. We can drown in all this busyness all around us. And let me tell you something. Someone who used to, you know this about me, someone who used to be involved in TV stations uh, had three of them. And you know what? Here's the thing marketeers know. It's called psycho marketing. And i got to tell you something. The psycho marketers got us. Um, What they do is they use this thing called repetitive exposure. We know that today we're all so busy because we have all these sound bites coming in, right? We just stack them up. Okay. Don't have time for more than eight seconds. So put that one over there and pound But you know how the ones you remember are the ones that you had hammered at you like a machine gun. They keep right on coming in. Let me tell you that. Remember this from M&M? Melts in your mouth but not in your? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or Verizon. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Or Purdue. It takes a tough man to make a tender? Repetitive exposure. Now tell me, what does John 317 say? I'm gonna let you go find it. You know what? We need to be constantly filling our brains with the Bible, don't we? And knowing exactly what it says. And that needs to be what comes out of our mouth when we fill in the blank. Because folks, blanks live all around us, they're everywhere. And their blanks need to be filled in with Jesus Christ, with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, And what? We're drifting away from that anchor of Jesus Christ. And the world's the one that's drifting us away. This drifting away comes with a combination of years of experience of not paying attention it comes away with a familiarity it comes away comes comes it drags us away with with a business and now you know what it all is going to raise this empty head when the storm of op- opposition comes the anchor has come loose and when the winds come there's going to be a terrible storm and the folks that have drifted away are going to find themselves on some really bad beaches shipwrecked we've got to get back to Jesus and we've got to get fixed on him and on nothing else. That's why it says the very first verse, therefore we must pay closer attention than we have to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Close and careful attention to what we've heard is the way we keep from drifting. And this writer of Hebrews wants us to drive this point home in an even more forceful way to his wandering friends. He uses this, you know, I told you, you got to let me do this. If you really want to know how, how this Hebrew, remember we said Hebrews is written for about two Hebrew people, to Jews and all that, so we want to kind of get into their head. It's hard. To get into that culture, but here, there's a hermeneutical way to approach this thing. Hermeneutical means there's a way that how you study it, how you read the way their 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 scripture is done. So let me bore you just a minute with just a little bit of this, can I? They actually they they use this uh, this method uh, in, in the in the Hebrew it's called uh uh homer. But what it means it means from heavy to light. And what they do is just think about it. Anybody here? Anybody here Jewish? No, okay. You, anybody here know a little Jew? Yeah, you held you've held conversations with them, right? They do this naturally when when they're talking about it. And they, and he, they did this here. The rite of Hebrews does this very thing. He goes from the from the light to the heavy, to for his argument purposes. He'll show you the light, and you'll say, "So if the light's true, how heavy must the true be?" Does that make sense? Let me show you how it works. Um, he uses this, this Jewish argument style to, to frame the, the great question in verse 3. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's putting the light argument before, and he's beginning with, with the heavy with it. The light, or the less heavy one in this case from the law, is given in verse 2. Look at this. And then it flows into the great question in, in, in the, last, the other verse. For since the message declared to angels provided the, the, to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's given this this common Jewish thing um, that was of contemporary Judaism that we see today in the New Testament that angels delivered the law of God. God didn't deliver it. The angels did it for him. They were like the mediators. They were like a... You're a lawyer. I'm kidding. But they were like like the mediator. So Stephen is a really great example of this. Remember in his sermon when he was preaching, he got nuked at the yeah. end of it. But remember in his famous sermon in Acts 7, he says, The one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received living oracles to give us. So in the middle of all of the... the, the vo- the the power and you know and the, and the you saw the movie you know all the lightning and all the volcanic activity and everything and in Moses, God the Father spoke through his angels. He used them as the mediators, the ones that are in between, and or and he said the point is that these words, even though they were delivered by angels, were reliable. My version says if you're reading out of the NIV, it says they were. Um, Binding, I like that one the best. NASB 95 says, unalterable. But they were so binding or so unalterable that every transgression, that's every overt transgression or disobedience, received a just retribution. So even though the, here's where we're going with this. Even though the angels, God said it, he delivered it through the angels, they're still binding. Every law that we got from the angels, from any way that we got it, If God did it, said it, it's binding. That means we have to. It's the truth. Let me tell you how that worked itself out. Remember back in, uh, oh, uh, in in Numbers twenty-one when uh, uh, they they had rebelled against God and they were getting bitten by all the snakes. You know, God punished them directly. That law had been delivered by angels, but still God's law, isn't it? Um, There was also the uh, remember when when uh, Korah and his boys. The rebellion of Korah, you remember that one? They got nuked and swallowed up by the earth. God did it, but the angels had delivered the law. Okay, track with me here, in just a minute. So sometimes he, God does it Himself, and sometimes He does it through the legal process. The uh, Fourth Commandment uh, said you have to keep the Sabbath. And remember, there was a guy out picking up sticks, found found out in the field picking up sticks. They just delivered the law. And so they grabbed him and they said okay what do we do with him Lord he's, he knows better he's not supposed to be out working on the Sabbath nobody here is going to go out and eat after the Sabbath oh, I'm sorry let me finish this he said' they're, they're, they're saying okay this guy was picking up sticks Lord it says here what do we do and you know what God said to do take him outside the camp and stone him that's my law that's my binding law he knew better so that's what he that's what he gets he wasn't ignorant. How did all that happen because Almighty God had spoken and through though he mediated through the angels and then through Moses it was absolutely unequivocally binding because God said it it was against God that's the light argument the heavy argument how shall we escape if we neglected such a great salvation here's how it gets where it gets its weight look at verses three and four. First, it is identified as a great salvation that was declared at first by the Lord. Did you get that? Jesus himself declared it. Angels didn't do it. Jesus said it. Jesus gave us his commandments. He's the one that that gave us our salvation. How can we ignore that? Okay, let's save that for later. Jesus declared it. And then he says the the, the other good news. Here's the thing. The good news. Evangel comes from the Lord. He's not just the mediator. He's God's son. He is God. You know, I was having an argument yesterday. I try. I confess. I tried to get away from the house just to go somewhere where I could just be alone and just think. And truck wasn't doing it, so I came back to the house and waiting on my doorstep were Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, and, and they tried to leave. <laughs> uh-huh. I want them to. I want them to know the truth. <laughs> so we got into uh, John one. See, they don't believe that Jesus. They they will tell you they believe that Jesus is God's son, but He and God are not one. That they're not. They don't. They're not Trinitarian. So we started in John one. They said, "Oh yeah, yeah. We heard all that. We don't believe that." I said, "Okay, that's the word. God's word here." Then I showed them there's ten places in John where Jesus actually says, "I am God." In the Greek, he says "ego ami, which means "I am, I am, I am, I am." You get that? You know where that came from, right? So we went there, and they said, "We got to go now. There's people waiting on us." <laughs> but I invited them back. I told them about Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17, you know, "As iron sharpens iron," I said, "I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you and work this out." But I don't know that they will be back. <laughs> Jesus is God's son. It says that all through the Bible. Jesus is God, they are one. He's the one that tells us about salvation. He's the one that shows us how can we turn away or drift away from a salvation like that? That's part of the heavy argument. Get it? The light and the heavy. Okay, here's another part. Um, he says that the salvation it was attested to us by those who heard. This, let me tell you what he's talking about there. The apostles are the one who went out and told everybody about Jesus. They carried the word on. They're spreading it. Mm-hmm. They passed it from faith to faith, it says, through the succeeding generation. That's Luke 1, 2. Let me tell you, I know this is another, I'm, forgive me, I'm a nerd. But let me tell you, I, I, if you go back and you read some of these early church fathers, Eusebius, that's one, of, I don't know, anybody ever heard of Eusebius? He was a great historian, and he actually wrote all this stuff down. It's so good to go back and read him. If you want to read him, I have it translated. You can. I know it's boring, okay? But let me tell you, what. in, in his writings called Ecclesiastical History, he actually preserves some of the autobiographical fragment from Irenaeus. That's another one, Irenaeus of Leon. And and he reads to you how it had been passed down from the apostles to the to the next generation to the next generation. Yes, so Eusebius lived about. He died in the 265 or somewhere along in there. So so you can figure, see, we're about two three generations away. And he actually goes there and he writes down that it's being passed on. Now, I want you to read this and I want you to identify with this. Listen to this. Here's what he says. And as Polycarp remembered their words and what he heard from them concerning the Lord and concerning his miracles and his teaching, having received them from the eyewitness of of John... Polycarp related all things in testimony with the scripture. And these things being told to me by the mercy of God, I listened to them attentively, noting them down, not on paper, but in my heart. And continually through God's grace, I recall them faithfully. Oh, folks, that's us. That's you and me. I'm going to read you something. We're going to read Deuteronomy 6 together here in just a minute. And, uh, but don't go there now. Hang on there. Don't go there yet. The church in Hebrews um, was in a far better place to understand this than we are today. because Just because of where they were in history. But you know what? God's word, our salvation, Jesus Christ still lives. How do you know about him? Think about it. How do you know about that? How do you know that's true? Because he's come into your heart. I get it. But didn't somebody... Lead you to Christ. Christ saved you. Nobody saved you but Jesus Christ. But didn't somebody lead you? Yeah. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Telling them about Jesus. Oh, you know what? He lives in there. We've had a lot of things happen. <laughs> it seemed like every week here, but, but in this week, we had a lot of things that really were hard on us. Yeah. They really were hard on us. You know, they strained at our faith and everything. But you know what? Jesus Christ is faithful. He's still there. And I got to tell you, we have a joy in us that passes all human understanding. Isn't that true? So when we go back to Him and we stop and we meditate on Him on the truth, our anchor, instead of. Drifting away, we go back to him. Boy, that peace just really is everything I want to rest my life on. How about you? It's true, isn't it? So look, we have to pass it on. And that's how this truth has gotten there. The apostles attested to it. So the, 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 the gospel was declared by Jesus Christ, attested to by the apostles, and listen to this, it was distributed by God himself through the Holy Spirit. Listen to this next verse, verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to his will. Did you get that? Signs pointed beyond themselves into the mighty hand of God Almighty. He's the one that gives that, right? Wonders brought awe and amazement to everybody who saw it. Have you seen any wonders? You know, maybe not like they did, but we have. I see a lot of wonders. Wonders brought awe and amazement. And then in miracles, which in, in the original language really is powers, is power, godly powers, what, what they saw and what we see. And it showed the power of God beyond human ability. Have we seen any of that? We have, had not we? There's a lot of things that we've seen through God that no man could have done. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit... Forgiven according to God's will. Those four things, pretty weighty, aren't they? Pretty heavy, because God did it. God did every bit of it. The heavy argument was heavy indeed. So now we see the the light argument. If the Word of God, the law, was meditated by angels and was so binding that every infraction was punished. Then how much more accountable are those who have the word of salvation direct from Jesus Christ himself? And we have seen the miracles and the signs and the wonders and all that. So, you know what? Back to the really big question, the weighty, the heavy question. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So here's the application for us. For those of us who are 2,000 years beyond the, the church that this letter was written to. The main idea and concern for this warning text is for those who have heard. I want you to know that. You see, everybody here has heard. You've heard the Word of God. This is not for those who haven't heard. We're to go out and tell, talk to them. These are for the ones who have heard God's word. It's, it's not for those who reject the gospel. It's for those who ignore it. So here's what this is really about. The real concern here is about attitude. What is our attitude towards Christ and towards his word and toward, towards our own salvation? Have we drifted away? Have we taken our eyes off of Jesus? We should be doing that every day of our lives, focusing on him and meditating on him. It's so easy to say, oh, no, I'm late for work. You know, we need to get up and read anyway. We need to get up and, and, and get in him into us and us into him every day. So what happens to the person that drifts away? The writer says that the um, consequences are horrible. Says they're terrible. You know, if we think the the consequences of the guy who picked up the sticks on Sunday were bad, you know, how much more horrible is the one who ignores his salvation, turns away from his salvation? You know what? It's worse sin. It's worse to sin against love than against the law. God is love through Jesus Christ, isn't he? I think it's worse to ignore God's mercy than to break his law. That little bitty storm-tossed church in the storm, stormy waters 2,000 years ago. It's not hypothetical, folks. It was real. It had real people in it just like you and me. It had real people who got up and say, Oops, missed, missed my time to leave for work, and I didn't have time to study God's Word. I think. You know what? They had flesh, and they had bones, and they had families. They had life and breath just like you and me. They had real problems, too. You know, we were talking earlier in the week, too, that, you know, everybody here has problems. And what's, what's interesting is that everybody's problems are the worst in the world because they're theirs. All these people had problems. But you know what? They also had Jesus Christ. We do, too. Isn't that great to know? Amen. Here's the problem. Back then, they hadn't rejected Jesus Christ, but they were ignoring him. Their anchors had come up, hadn't they? And they drifted away by all the screaming, by all the hawkers, by everything around us that's there to distract us. You know what? And they were moving away to really deceptive, dark waters. So, what do they do? It brings us full circle. In we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift. <sighs> it's actually stronger in the Greek. It says we have to pay the greatest attention. You know, with something to have your attention right now, we need to pay the greatest attention to Jesus Christ. If there's something distracting you, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Jesus Christ is the one we need to be looking at. Two important things to take home. First, our attention has to be focused on the supremacy of Christ. That's why we're reading Hebrews. That's what it's all about. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. You have a problem, promise you, by God's word, Jesus Christ is more powerful. Jesus Christ is supreme. Having trouble staying focused trying whatever, Jesus Christ can solve the problem. You got Satan knocking on your door. Everybody here does, I believe. Jesus Christ is more powerful. As a matter of fact, I do want you to read the last chapter because He wins. You know, I've said this before. He's actually—if you believe that He is Savior, the Greek word for for uh, conqueror is Nike. So, if you want to believe that He is, just do it. Yeah, yeah. That's another one you already knew, right? It's repetitive exposure, folks. Be careful. Christ the creator and upholder of everything. That's Jesus Christ. We read that too last week, didn't we? He upholds everything. He's got it all he's got the whole world in his hands. You know know that one too. Our Christ, our mediator before the Father and Christ, and the divine, powerful, sovereign God that Jesus is. You know what? We need to do some work here. Just keep our anchor held down. We need to do some reading. We need to read his word and find Christ on every page. And, you know, if you don't want to read the whole Bible, you should start. Because he is there. He is on every page from beginning to end. You know, I, we were going to use this thing for, I don't know if we're still going to do this trunk or treat thing, but, but you know, Iris, I, I'm sorry, we're using my, my wife here as an example. I shouldn't. I, Iris, Iris is a big tapestry person. And you know what? She made this thing for all the tapestry. Ours, by the way, most of these guys are from Berkeley you know they are kind of wild and crazy people but she made she made this tapestry thing of the seven days of creation and you know what there's one thing that everybody kind of noticed is that there are there's a red there's blue red and white st- string interquiring all the way through it holy spirit father son and the holy spirit all the way through creation he was there in the beginning yeah he's here today and he will be forever So you know what? You can find him in Genesis. You can find him in Revelation and everywhere in between. Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's the one that's supreme over everything. Here's another thing we need to pay close attention to real quick. We need to pay attention to what we've heard. And that means living in the revelation of God's word. And you know what? It's always meant that. I want to take you back to Deuteronomy 6. This is really when God was first given instructions on how we are to live out our life with him. So I'm just going to read it to you, and we're going to end with that. You know this is the Shemaz. You do, you? Yeah? Shema, Israel. Adonai, our God is one God. Oh, you hadn't heard it that way. Then let me read it to you in the English. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. You know that one, don't you? Keep on reading. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children, not somebody else. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk. By the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. Those are their phylacteries. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. Never get distracted. Always keep your eyes on Christ, in our case, in everything that you do. Those are essential words of truth, aren't they? Let's don't drift away. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you. Your word is so powerful. And Lord, we have it. Lord, I pray that we can hide it in our heart. We can keep it in our heart. And Lord, that others can see it and know it. Because you, Lord, live in us. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this picture that you've given us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here, every one of us who know Jesus Christ, Lord, and are able to live in your joy and know your joy forever and ever. I pray, Lord, that we won't drift away. Lord, keep us from these, the hawkers, from the, from the sirens that would have us to drift away in the storm of life all around us. Lord, you are our peace. You are our anchor. Lord, I pray that we can keep fixed on you and in you in all that we do. And Lord, we do all of that for your glory. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know that, doesn't have that that sense of Christ, that no know, no know, knowledge, Lord, that is firm. The assurance, Lord, that you are with us and you never leave us. Lord, I pray that they they would come to that point today and they would say I need Jesus if there's someone here this morning Lord that doesn't know you and doesn't have that peace that passes all understanding all human understanding Lord I pray that that you would just pierce their heart this morning they would give it all up make you Lord and Savior nothing else World, not anything this world has to offer, not any program, not any anything, Lord, but Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that they would make you, Lord, and know your salvation, your love and peace that only you have to offer forever and ever. Oh, Lord, right now, as we respond to you with a song, may the song be in our hearts that you are indeed our Lord and our Savior, our salvation forever and ever. Lord, to you be all the glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. I'm a response that the Lord's leading you. Is the Lord? I'm sorry.